what we were talking about a little bit of the like worrying about what other people think of like you and your music and uh definitely feeling that sort of thing like i i do remember with like each release that i put out uh, i had an ep last year and then a, a ambient album the year before and it's like there's no reason to have like high expectations about both of the things that I put out because it's like incredibly niche music, but it's like, you know, I have friends. It's like, so I would imagine that like, you know, there would be some reaction to it or something, but like, you know, it's a light reception. But like, again, the, this idea that we create of ourselves of like, oh man, like I've spent all this time and passion putting into this thing. And like, you would expect that other people, like for some reason you would expect that other people would have that same passion towards your music as you do towards your music for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. And especially your friends. Like it's, it's so weird that we expect like our, our friends to, like our music like to genuinely like our music like that's such a weird expectation to have in reality it'd be great if they did but that doesn't make them any less of your friend just because they don't like your art which sounds like a hurtful thing to say but like i don't know yeah and i mean over time like obviously i've had this podcast for like over five years now and it'll be six in march and like to expect people to listen to my podcast, to expect my friends to listen to my podcast is like a bit ridiculous. Like, yes, spend an hour with me every week. Like, I'm not your parents or anything. Like, you're not required to do that with me. And it's like, sure, if you want to, if you like the stuff that I'm making, sure. But like, you shouldn't be expected to like (laughs) consume my product. It's not a requirement of the friendship for sure. (laughs) <laughs> and it's easy, it's easy to get caught up in, especially like when your friends are Aussie musicians mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, just realizing that they are not necessarily the market that you're trying to reach. I don't know. <laughs> and that might be the, like, I think that's the next step for like the scene is that, and this is what I've been talking about on the podcast a lot is that like, Right now, we are a little bit of like an insular type industry in that the people that go to shows are people who will be playing other shows. (laughs) And so it's like, yeah, I'm going to your show because I also kind of want you to come to my show. Yeah. (laughs) And even though like that's not necessarily why we're going to shows there's still that little piece of like well you know we're doing this trade here (laughs) yes it's an uncommunicated expectation that a lot of people have for sure or or not even expectation just like it's like currency that people treat going to shows or like sharing releases on instagram it's like they treat it as currency in which they're going to expect the favor returns whenever they do something it's like that's that's not who i'm making shit for man i'm not i don't I'm not about that. If I, if I'm your friend or if I genuinely like you, I'll be at your show or, you know, I'll, I'll be sharing your music, but it's like, I'm not doing it just for points so I can cash in when I put out a single, you know, it's like, that's not going to get you success. (laughs) 
Yeah, but then it's it's the hard thing on the flip side, too, because whenever you do make the thing and you do want to, like, <laughs> tell people, <laughs> you know, it is like, hey, so I made a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it's it's hard because as creatives, we we are making stuff for ourselves but we are also making a product and that line between like something for ourselves and our souls versus please listen to it on your streaming platform and please pay money for it. And please come to my show so that I can feel justified in spending a lot of money in this life decision. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it, it's kind of, um, I mean, it's like when you're, when you're thinking about it, like trying to get people to listen or buy it, it kind of touches on this capitalistic idea pretty heavily where it's like, at a certain point, we are just adding more noise, adding more product to the world that is already oversaturated. And that's completely removing the art and emotional point of it. But it's like, that's how it feels when you're just on Instagram trying to like get people to share your stuff or trying to network. It feels like you're just marketing like you're just a capitalist and and that's exhausting that'll tear you down (laughs) and like i mean you know like it it's it's not it's not why i'm doing why i'm making music and so like kind of talked about like the album putting that out and being like kind of let down just with my high expectations and stuff i don't know yeah and and especially whenever like you know you you spend a long time on it. You spend a lot of money on it. And it's like, this is good. Like, I'm proud of this. Yeah. And (laughs) like, I feel like you should be too. (laughs) Like, be proud of me in a way. And that, that like, you know, blurry line of like the ego of like when you're going between, oh, everything I make is garbage and I hate myself versus like, I'm the shit and yes. like Kanye doesn't have anything <laughs> on me. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. there, obviously you don't have to be either of those extremes, but like we wildly fluctuate on that at oh, all yeah. times because yeah, whenever you you're in the process and you're making something and like you, you listen back something that you're like, Oh man, this sounds so good. And mm-hmm. you can get excited about that. And it's like, you can't, recreate that feeling for anyone else right not not even necessarily from like the music itself maybe maybe someone will listen to it and have that experience but like yeah it's it's not guaranteed that but that's like the goal right is to give somebody that feeling without them requiring the context of oh this person put in like 150 hours into this song just into recording it alone or you know, this person has grown so much from making this, you know, like they, you want them to feel the emotional response without needing all the context that you have to feel that emotional response when you listen to it. It's, but you have no perspective on that being the person that made it. I don't know how, like, I don't know how you're going to hear these songs that you've never heard. Like I only know how I hear them. Yeah. And then there's the like kind of beautiful, beautiful side of that, which is that like sometimes people will hear something in there that you never thought would be interpreted. And it's like, oh, I thought this song was about blank. And it's like, oh, 
that that's like way off but like cool i admire that like somehow like the things that you know you were absorbing in your life led you to like hear this from my music that's really cool and like once yeah once you put out a thing it is kind of no longer yours <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's i mean you know like being a singer you put something out and you think you just exposed yourself to the world like you think everybody knows your exact thoughts knows your processes like but that is not the case for the exact reason you just said like it's really not as exposing as you might think initially yeah um kind of with with that thought uh something that comes to mind with it is uh this concept of like signal to noise ratio and i mean as an audio person you know a little bit about just the literal interpretation of signal to noise ratio <laughs> but how that applies to kind of a broader philosophical perspective is that people on interpreting content or media or art they're bringing their own noise and the the signal that the art is trying to communicate is it also kind of probably has its own noise in it as well and so like whenever people interpret it they're adding their own stuff to it that may not have been in the art but that's just the noise versus the signal yeah what's what's interesting i like that analogy of noise what i instantly thought of is the, the noise um of people refusing to sit with their emotions from songs and i can say this to somebody that used to be like this as a, as a kid songs that made me feel like heavy like songs that really elicit emotion i used to actively dislike just because of that reason not because they were bad songs just i did not like feeling i don't know I didn't even have a concept on that. So I, I see that in my friends now, like when people, I don't know when people shit on like very popular cheesy songs, but they're good songs. Like they're undeniably good songs. And people are still shitting on them. It's like, just like be quiet for a minute and like, listen and let, let like these emotions. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like they're bringing in this noise of not, not able to being vulnerable, not being able yeah. to be vulnerable. Sure. Or the other side of just like, just because thing is popular, therefore it's bad. It's like, yeah, I don't know, man. Uptown Funk is a banger. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's like undeniably there's popular. Yeah, there's a reason <laughs> it's popular and, and money is a big part of that. But there's also another reason besides money why it's popular. And that's because it's, people like it. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of the other side of that, what you were saying about like, not being able to sit with the emotions like honestly my favorite songs from my favorite artists are like the sad dark ones on the albums uh and i always kind of feel weird like you know if people get in your car and you know pass the ox and it's like oh i love this song <laughs> this man's like everyone in the car is about to be like really sad <laughs> but like i don't know that's and that's a weird thing because, yeah, in some ways, music is for fun, but also music is for expression. And so the, yeah, my favorite songs are the saddest songs on the album, but I can't necessarily just like, you know, make an entire set list off of the saddest songs covers, you know? Yeah. Because you're doing a different thing when you're on stage. It's very weird 
because I'm in, I was in, I, I love ballads. I love like um, emotionally uh, eliciting songs, emotional, I don't know the phrase in there, but I love the same kind of music where it's like heavy, you know, and, but that is not what people want to go see all the time at a show. Like you, they have to know and love you to go sit through 30 or 45 minutes of very slow, sad songs. Like you're not going to win anybody over by playing that kind of music live. So it is interesting bringing that perspective like once you step on a stage and play your slow, sad songs, you're like, oh, we need some fun ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there is kind of a bit of that, like, I mean, there's the the DJ mentality of like, you know, how do you structure this thing? It's the same thing that you do whenever you just order an album uh, and like picking which songs go where, but like you're manipulating the audience to be like, Hey, we're going to have fun now. And then there's going to be like a little lull and it's, you know, have you ever like, for example, I DJed a wedding for like the first time last year. Ooh, uh, and nice. like DJ is, is a light term. I ran the Spotify for a wedding. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, there's like a level of audience manipulation where it's like, oh, okay, well this next song that was on the playlist, like, it seems like, you know, people aren't really going out here, even though it's a banger. So, all right, let's just go, go with the big guns and just put cha-cha slide. And then, (laughs) (laughs) but like what you're doing whenever you're, you're setting up a playlist too, is kind of the same thing or a a set list. I mean, is, uh, yeah, you're trying to like, get the audience on your side. So if you really do want to play that slow, sad song, you really got to like work your way towards it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I've run into a similar kind of thing playing house music. It's not as severe as a wedding, obviously like the, you know, the wedding, like the bride's going to be pissed or the the groom's going to be pissed if things don't go right. A show like nobody cares on about the house music really, (laughs) but um, just like, seeing certain songs make the entire crowd erupt into dance like that is that's that's a cool feeling you know it's like i I take that song and they're yeah yeah and and it's not even like the same as like playing a song that like that people like because that's that's an entirely different feeling but like you do kind of get like i deserve credit for that (laughs) yeah it's like it's like your ability to read the room and take and take in all the factors like age and demographic, everything, and and specific vibe in that specific moment, and then pick the right like audio to match that. It's like I don't know. It's it's like hey, look, I have good taste. Everybody, <laughs> like that kind of thing, <laughs> right? Um, and then you do kind of have to let go of yourself to be like, I love this song, but. Nobody knows this song. There's no reason for you to play this song here. But maybe like at the end of the night, whenever like no one's paying attention anymore, maybe you can play that song. For sure. <laughs> for sure. But you can't like, you know, sneak in that song right after like uh Cupid Shuffle or something. It's just right. not gonna <laughs> Right. And that uh that's you hear about like DJs in the beginning of hip hop. And and still, you know, like the club scene and and testing out records in clubs and seeing like what makes the crowd move in a club, and that's how you tell what a good what a good single is going to be. And if it doesn't make people move, then it's not coming out, not going to be released. Mm. 
uh, I guess how how do you structure or how do, I guess how does Kodo structure their set lists based on the audience thing? Because yeah, it is a different thing doing an album versus doing a set list. Yeah. So the album, the album, the last album that we put out, I had next to no stage perspective. So I did, I had no perspective of how things would translate live. Um, and so sets, I don't know. I didn't really have perspective on how to order the set or anything. Now it's like, I just want the whole goal is I just want people to have fun. Like I, I want people to be able to dance. I want us to be able to have fun playing it. I want us to be able to dance. Um, and so I don't, currently there is no sad, slow songs in our set for that exact reason. I, I, not that we don't have them. <laughs> Did away with them all. And, and specifically wrote songs for the purpose of like energizing music. You know, I, there's so much like, not that sad songs are, are bad or anything. I don't want it to sound like that, but there's so much like negativity in the world. Music can, can be a, an escape from that and concerts specifically can be an escape from that. Um, and so I don't know, they're just realizing like what I want to be doing. And that mm-hmm. is that. <laughs> yeah. And the, the hard part with that is that like, even with those slow, sad songs, there is kind of, if you're going to do it live, there's the caveat of that, like people need to know them. Yes. Before you, you do that, because yeah, you can go and see a band that you like really love and you love everything on their newest record or something. So then whenever they finally do play that song that maybe is a bit slower or sadder, you can still be excited because like, yay, we're sharing in this emotion together. But whenever you're just like a local band, uh, no one's heard your stuff. There's no, like no one's heard your stuff. You can't even expect it. And so. I mean, it's nice if <laughs> like you hear someone like singing along in there. It's like, whoa, hey, mm-hmm. cool. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's it's a hard thing because, yeah, as someone who is, I mean, we're all fans. As a fan, we want to hear those slow, sad songs. But like as musicians, we can't do it yet. <laughs> yeah, there's this, there's this weird self-indulgence that we all have where it's like we all think that everything we do is the shit and that every it needs to be heard. Or like, I don't know, like local bands, like it's like akin to a local band making a biography or like a biographical bit. Like you don't have a fan base. Nobody, nobody cares. And I don't have anybody in specific in mind, but it's just like when nobody cares, who are you making this for? Because you're clearly not making, you're clearly making it for other people, but you don't have fans. So like you're just self-indulging at this point. You know, I don't know. You're putting yeah. energy into the wrong things. <laughs> it's it's a strange thing though, because I mean, yeah, there's there's a, a certain egotism to it whenever you you are making like a, a biography or whenever you have like 10 fans. Uh but at the same time, if you like make it big somehow, if like if Nirvana like comes out, then you kind of do want to have that biography from like where their first album was at because you want to know what was going on in that early stuff. And, but that's the thing. It's like the, nobody cares until everybody cares. And then, (laughs) and so there is this weird thing about like what we're doing as we put out ourselves is that we are making history 
And in some way, even though it may or may not actually be history, but, you know, even if you like reach some sort of point where people know about you, then people can like go to your Wikipedia and like read up on you. Cause I, I do that with all the bands that I'm like interested in. And it's like, Oh, where, where are they from? What was their background? How'd they, I mean, the same questions that I ask people on here, like I want to know these things about artists. And so if there was no one taking note whenever these things were happening, then it is just like hearsay or if it's, it's just like, I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good point. It's a good point. It's like balancing the line between like too much and, and necessity. <laughs> yeah. Well, but again, like who am I to think that I'm going to be the next Kurt Cobain or something so that I have to make sure that everything <laughs> that we do is documented so that whenever I die at the, at 32, like <laughs> the, there's at least some sort of historical documentation that people can pour over for decades. That's kind of like touching into just human nature. I feel like we all want to leave a legacy. Even even if we're not, even if somebody's not musically inclined or make music or anything, like everybody wants to leave a legacy. I don't know why or or for what purpose or any, you know, nothing like that. But everybody has. I think everybody has that desire innately. Yeah, and we're in this weird time where, like, people our age got to grow up with phones and smartphones and stuff. That like, even whenever we were in like middle school. Like there are definitely like grainy, terrible camera phone pictures from back then that like exist. And in the same way that our parents' generation and back, you know, we have these old film like, oh, wow, this is them at this age. But like we have such a massive amount of content <laughs> that all of us are generating that like you know, we are able to, whenever we're like 80 years old and it's like, grandpa, tell me about the 2000s. And it's like, well, there was this big genre called emo and everyone <laughs> wore her eyeliner and dyed their hair black. And here's a picture of your grandpa with like straight hair or whatever. <laughs> here's 80 other shots of the same picture just trying to get the right pose yeah <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting to think about like the equivalent of going through family photos like at christmas or whatever because that just happened and you you know you see maybe 200 photos over the span of a couple albums a couple of physical photo albums and now i you know i think about like when we're 80 how are we going to pull up a computer and go to our hard drive from 60 years ago and, and find our 3,000 pictures from the second week of January. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we all have so much like to store and, and lug around. It's like, it's not, it doesn't have physical weight, but it does like have a burden on you, you know, like this digital storage of all the content we're constantly making. Yeah, I mean, uh, I worked for ACM for a little bit as well. There's just like hard drives just filled with this stuff. And I mean, also even just like the, the content that like the flaming lips generates is just like hard drives full of content. And it's like, it's there. 
we have it. It's for something. <laughs> and you can't just throw it out. Yeah, right. And ACM just itself also just has like, you know, folders and folders that somehow got stored into like, all right, here's, you know, 2012's Studio 4 class that they stored it on the school server for some reason. And it's here now. <laughs> yeah, it, it like it's easy to get stressed out thinking about all that stuff. Because <laughs> like... <laughs> I, so much of my to-do list is like keeping my digital life in check so I don't get overwhelmed when I sit down to write a song, you know, so I don't have 45 things on my background, on my desktop, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's easy to get overwhelmed thinking about all that. Sure. And, but like, it's also that we have, I don't know, my like music folder on my computer is like gigantic. and there yeah there are some product or projects that i might pull up and it's like oh i need this one sample that i used in like 2013 and the project won't play back correctly unless <laughs> yeah. i find that sample <laughs> yeah or like software incompatibility issues can't even open the session or plugins or whatever yeah and God, I can't even imagine like your podcast. I mean, this has been going on for five years every week. Like you've got to have a folder somewhere that's massive full of podcasts. So every hundred episodes, uh, one, I do a, uh, I get interviewed thing. So all the questions that I ask all the guests, I get interviewed every hundred episodes and that's neat. But uh, also every hundred episodes, I will go through the archive, just save the final bounce of the podcast, like put everything into one folder and delete everything. Nice. Else. There is nice. no, there's no way for me to go back. There's no going back. It's gone. And there's a bit of freedom in that. Oh yeah. There isn't some way for me to like go back and like do revisionist history on anything that's already out anything that you can find on the podcast feed like that is what it is forever now and that's that's my own history as well yeah the free the freedom is real though like it, it it's weird how these i wouldn't even call that a possession because it's like weird to think about digital storage as a possession of yours but it's weird how our possessions control us like and and just getting rid of them can free us in ways we had no idea like yeah, I, I deleted some old Pro Tools sessions kind of along that same line, like maybe a week ago. And these are sessions from people I recorded six years ago, like, and and not just friends that are like people that I'm never going to see again. It's like, why am I still, why am I still carrying these around? I deleted them. I felt great. <laughs> I yeah. felt very free. <laughs> right. And then at some point in like 12 years, when one of those people that you recorded becomes an expert <laughs> Cobain, you're like, yeah. Caleb, where are the files? <laughs> no. Yeah, Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, sorry, they're gone. Yeah. Don't know what to tell you. <laughs> How was I supposed to know? Yeah, that'll be a shitty moment, but for the next 12 years, I'll be free. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, we we generate so much content. And kind of going back to, like, the, the whole what other people see of us, that all of this content that we're holding on to so tightly no one's going to hear most of that. And 
unless you're, yeah, unless you're freaking Bruce Springsteen, there's no need for you to like save every single voice memo as though you're making history because no one cares. Yeah, someone, there's thousands of people that want to hear Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen's voice memos, but no one wants to hear my voice memos. <laughs> right. Well, and even you can think about like the Beatles are, have done this, um, where I, I, they're, I love the Beatles, right? They're one of my favorite bands. I could not care any less about like take three of a deep cut from Sergeant Pepper. You know, like I could not care any less. Like, why are they still just putting this out? <laughs> you know, it's to make money, but it's like, does anybody like, I don't know. Does anybody truly want to hear that? Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a part of the like mythologizing that we do for like the stuff that we really love in that. Yeah. Like the Beatles aren't the Beatles anymore. They're these gods of music that, uh, I mean, obviously like get back that documentary like got really popular and it's like, Oh yeah, we're watching Paul like turn this like random nothing thing into like a hit song. And it's like, yeah, that probably also happens to like, I mean, any of us are probably writing hit songs from nothing, but because no one cares, no one cares. Exactly. And so, (laughs) <laughs> the that is a a sad reality that I've come to think about a lot in that marketing sometimes is more important than just the product itself and that if there's enough money behind something then it doesn't really matter what the thing is because people are going to see it and because people see it or hear it they're going to value it more for sure for sure. And, and, and it's, it's true. <laughs> and it's like, we kind of talked about like doing it for yourself versus like doing it in marketing, you know, just like straddling that line. And it is tough. Cause like, yeah, you, it, you can either be content with nobody hearing your stuff. It may be one in a million getting some lucky break, maybe, but you're, you know, you're just making it for yourself or you can spend all your time and energy trying to like get other people to listen to it. And Maybe that pays off to, you know, in a, in a more, in a more uh, consistent manner. I don't know. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's, there's like Grammy winning or Grammy nominated stuff that's in the, like, you know, the, the bottom recesses of like the Grammy nominations. There's like, you know, when you keep scrolling down on the, (laughs) on the big list, there's like, oh, you know, best comedy album that like you know, best mixed comedy album or something. And it's like, yeah, there's some, (laughs) there's some engineer that mixed that and got a Grammy for it. But that's because they did like a whole four year consideration thing and whatever. And it's like, this person probably didn't deserve an award for it necessarily because there's like hundreds of other better engineered comedy albums. Uh, (laughs) But like, because someone wanted that award they got it and so that like gets credit for it but like you know it it's cool that like paul mccartney was able to pull a a hit song out of nothing but like anyone else can too right right (laughs) and it's i I wonder i don't know it's it's 
I wonder our perspective versus somebody that's not a musician watching that, you know, cause we, uh, it seemed like that was kind of the, the difference in social media when that clip kind of surfaced from the documentary is like musicians saying like, Oh, that's just how it works. And then normal people being like non-musicians uh, being like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and, but, but that is just how, how it works. I don't know. I feel like we're jaded a little bit. Um, <laughs> just being musicians and, and not realizing that we have, we, we do that same magic, like in our own. And I think we're just kind of a little salty that we're not getting recognized for it in the same way Paul McCartney is. Sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, we are, we are making magic and yeah. And there are times when we, we do perform and, and someone does come up and is like, man, that was, that was really special. Thank you. And it's like, oh yeah. I guess it was, but like, we're so embedded in this thing that it's just like, yeah, I mean, you know, you just heard the 99th run of me playing that song that I yeah. happened to be playing live, but I played yeah. it that many more times before. And even as I was playing it, you know, whatever moment you felt was special, I was probably thinking about like, all right, what are the next two songs on the set list? You know, can I, uh, like, do I know all the chords for this thing? All right, well, do I? It's just like this other process going on in the background as, you know, do you have those songs that like whenever you're playing them, you're just like elsewhere? <laughs> Man, yeah, especially now because um, there's only a couple songs where I play guitar and sing. The rest of it, I'm just singing now so I can focus on like being a front man. And the, we've cut these songs from the set since because because it's a learning experience. But when you're playing these songs, I got there, there's just moments where it's like the crowd isn't connecting, and you're not really able to put the energy into it because it's a slow song or whatever. And so, so those moments, it's easy to get taken out of it, out of the the moment. And I'm very much in my head then. It's like, oh god, we got to get to the next song asap. We got to not ever do this song again. But when it's when it's going well, man, it's just like I'm not, I'm honestly not thinking about stuff, I'm just kind of like in the moment. Yeah, there. <laughs> I I did cut one song from a set list because like every time I played it, and even during rehearsals, like every time I played it, <laughs> I was like, man, I should have started the song faster. <laughs> Uh, all right, we got this thing. Like, just every time it's like a slog. And it's like not a bad song. It's just like, nah, I don't need yeah. this one anymore. <laughs> and it's, especially if you have a band behind you and you're like starting the tempo, if you start too slow, you cannot just speed it back up live. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Unless you're like a pro, pro band. <laughs> like, you're at that tempo. Yeah. And because I, I would definitely do that. Uh, acoustic like there's there's lots of times where i like i'll start it super slow it's like all right when i kick into the chorus i'm about to just like jet off because this is way too slow uh or the opposite where yeah whenever you get committed to like starting it too fast and we're just like oh gosh like if, <laughs> Guess if you have now. like yeah if you have like a hard keys part like oh no gosh <laughs> <laughs> yeah and singing especially i mean it's, you can tell when you're playing an instrument but it's it's too slow or fast you'll you'll be able to know the second you start trying to sing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and that's a weird thing for 
for me, I have a lot of songs that I've had written for a long time that are like getting tracked now. And so it's like, all right, I have to like decide on the tempo and this is it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And what a hard decision. Truthfully. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, if you, if you set it too slow, then you're sort of like committed to that for the rest of when anyone else ever hears it. And yeah, I have one song that I feel like the verses are too slow and the chorus is too fast, but it's all in the same tempo. And it's like, how do I, <laughs> I, I, I guess I could like subtly stretch the tempo in between, but yeah. I think I think honestly that might happen more than we realize. Not not specifically tempo stretching, but like the chorus being like two BPM faster than the verses or something. Um, that's not something people are just talking about on the streets. But I think that might be a, a thing in these songs we listen to more than we realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and we probably do it ourselves if we're yeah. like playing it live and just like we just the energy pushes the song and. uh unless you're playing to a track and in which case it's like (laughs) you can feel the band trying to rush but like the drummer is like nah this is where we are (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. we our drummer normally i mean we play with the click uh he's the only one that hears it but the last show we did we had a fill-in drummer who did not play with the click and what a different experience that was man like in in, it it was better and and worse in ways you know it's just different it was like cool in ways because you get to like just feel the vibe and, and run with it but then in other ways it's like man this is way too fucking fast for me to be singing right now yeah yeah <laughs> uh and that's where you get to like rap singing and but yeah. if you have those songs <laughs> that you're like kind of bored with if you do kick it off that fast it at least makes it kind of interesting <laughs> for sure for sure do you this is just sort of a side thought but like how much money is a reasonable amount of money at this point to spend on music, especially as like local artists? Is this for like somebody that just wants to be in a band and like play shows? I just mean for you. <laughs> I mean, man, it, I mean, it, it, every free dollar I have goes to music. Like for better, like, I mean, that's, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. But, um, it's like the only thing I want to spend money on outside of food or like, you know, traveling is cool too. But like, I don't really buy house possessions. I just buy music. So I, I have no idea. It's all, <laughs> and it's all so damn expensive too. I don't know. See, cause uh, I'm a little bit of a digital hoarder as we kind of mentioned earlier, but like I, I would rather get like more plugins than buying like gear and especially like the price point for like plugins go on sale because it's not real. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, this plugin that we designed eight years ago, sure, that can be $30 instead of $100 today, whatever. <laughs> Whereas like an LA-2A costs what it does because of what it is. <laughs> yeah, and and the maintenance costs and like if, you know, if you don't have clean power, like I would not want to run tube gear you know, just for, out of fear of fucking something up. 
and plugins honestly sound pretty good these days, especially universal mm. audio ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's weird. I mean, you went to the same music school, like where you're around all this gear and like this like mentality where analog is like better, and you know, or like doing things the right way, and that. And then you get into the the, the real world, and you're like, I just want a nice single chain or single channel chain and like maybe 16 converters if I need to multi-track. I don't want, I don't need 10 grand in mic preamps. I don't need, you know, compressors outboard. You know, I like some tone shaping stuff is fun, but other than that's all plugins. It's more way more practical financially and, and use wise. Yeah. And and then just like the the convenience of being able to just like stick a thing on God, and that's the yes. sound rather than like all right, I have to print compression now. Yeah. We're committing to this. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like, it slows the workflow having to use hardware, you know, like having to recall hardware. It just slows the workflow straight up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I think with that is like, is the value worth it? Especially with gear. Like I, I don't know the, like, yeah. How much am I willing to spend? on like a keyboard and is like, man, that Nord stage two would be really nice. But is it worth that much? Right. <laughs> instruments, I, instruments are, they, they have some grace as far as like, I don't, I, I really don't know if there's a Nord equivalent replacement out there, especially if you're trying to play live and stuff. And, you know, like Fender, there's no Fender replacement. There's no replacement for a good Gibson yet. You know, there's no replace. Amp sims are cool, but not, I don't know. Instruments, I feel like, have some grace still. They, they still have some uh, hardware usage. <laughs> like, especially hardware synths and stuff. Mm. <laughs> See, I'm I'm so in the box that even with synths, I'm just like, what? I can't do this thing. Man, I'd rather just like, <laughs> like why would I spend $8,000 on a mono synth whenever I can just have those sounds for sure and play multiples of them <laughs> for sure. And, and recall their settings and, and tweak their and undo say presets, like all the, you know, the whole thing. Like it's, mm. I, I agree with you for sure. For <laughs> sure. It's weird how much music we listen to that is made uh, entirely in the box with no cool instruments, no cool like gear. It's just FL Studio or Logic and a, a vocalist in a, into a shitty mic, into a shitty inter- you know a Focusrite interface or something like it's. You don't need the, I don't know. You don't need the best of the best anymore. It seems if you know how to mix it and get the vibe right. Yeah, and even so. Last year, I don't know if you know who like Adam Neely is. Uh, a, that sounds very familiar. He's a jazz bass player that's like popular on YouTube. Um, I see. But uh, him and this other guy, Ben Levin, did an album in 24 hours. Ooh. And so Jeez. they... <laughs> yeah, they like wrote and recorded and like produced eight tracks in 24 hours oh my gosh that's crazy granted the lyrics are like mostly nonsense but like some like some of these are like bangers you know 
that just like came out of that and hearing the quality that they put out with that and seeing like, cause they, they live streamed it as well and seeing clips of like what their room was whenever they like tracked vocals, for example, is like, Oh, I don't need a studio. <laughs> no, dude, shit is crazy now. Like, Isotope has this D verb thing that takes out the short reflections from. A, it's like I haven't used it yet, but I can just imagine, you know, because Isotope's already amazing at taking out sound like noise that you don't want, and just and yeah, it, for better or worse, everybody has access to sounds that were made in multi-million dollar studios. Like anybody can go find a good sounding drum kit sample. Anybody can go find a free VST piano. Anybody, you know, anybody can subscribe to Splice for 15 bucks a month and have access to all that stuff. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's easy to get into like a negative mindset. It's like, oh, musicianship's going away. But the other side, it's like producing's coming into its own, you know, more so than it ever has really. Well, it's, it's more that it's just become decentralized. You don't have to book a million dollar studio to get a million dollar sound you don't have to uh, spend you know your life savings on a music school education if you can just like learn off of youtube and so like yeah and then these people can hopefully buy a daw (laughs) or a lot of times it's get a cracked version of a DAW <laughs> and just like make their stuff and have really cool sounds. And it sounds no different than, I mean, yeah, there's obviously stuff that like a good mixing engineer goes a long way. <laughs> true. true. Um, like, yeah, it'll turn a, a, a crappy, recording into a a good recording if if you have a a decent mixer or you know the in-between step of like editor uh (laughs) but like that is that is money well spent but otherwise like you can you can kind of record anywhere (laughs) for sure yeah even like i remember starting to mix and not having things like melodyne or not knowing how to use beat detective like you mentioned editing even just knowing how to edit a song and having the tools to do it goes so far. Like, I mean, whether people are, you know, pride aside, like every track that you hear professionally has been Melodyne, unless it's a Beyonce or, you know, some phenomenal singer. Even Beyonce's even, probably Melodyne. Yeah, I think even then. Like, yeah. I think Ariana Grande edits her own vocal takes. Um, and she, like, she's really good at it. That's that's <laughs> impressive. Yeah, that's impressive. I. I, I don't think I'll ever not edit my own vocals just for that same reason, like knowing how to and stuff. It's like, and then you hear, you know, some local bands that don't have access to those tools. And it's like, okay, that's, that's money well spent. Melodyne, if you're a self-producing band is money well spent. That's a necess- necessary like gear buy. But other, you know, other than that, yeah. Ableton has stock EQs that are fine. Like Pro Tools has stock plugins that are fine. Especially if you have the current Pro Tools. Do you have current Pro Tools, Santiago? I have, I've been using Pro Tools 11 since like 2013. <laughs> okay, no no shade. I was too up until like, I, I just got the M1 Mac and I got Pro Tools entire plugin suite with the subscription. I never had the entire plugin suite. 
oh my gosh, dude. Like there is some very cool stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I make up for it because I have the like isotope everything bundle. So, uh, I mean, I edit podcasts. So like, yeah, what you're talking about, like isotope cleaning up audio. Like I know firsthand what crazy wizardry is going on in that thing. I don't know how they do it, but like give it a sample of noise and it's gone. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. With very minimal um, change to the timbre of the, the track in general. Like it doesn't like EQ it funkily. Like it, it's, it's very powerful. There, there is a limit. Like if you, if you start like, you know, two or three times through, you start getting some lossy artifact type stuff. But like, I mean, if you're, if you're denoising like a vocal that's in like a room like this, which, you know, I have a little bit of muffling in here. Uh, you know, it, it goes a long way. Uh, and especially if it's going to be sitting in a mix, you're not going to hear that noise. <laughs> no, no, I've, I've, I've gotten like, it's weird getting OCD with it. Cause I'll go through a session and do it to every guitar track just cause I'd start noticing it. But then you step back. It's like, A, that stuff's natural for a guitar. And B, like nobody's hearing that in the mid, you know, it's like sometimes the tools are too, too powerful. Yeah, that's the, sometimes that's the problem of having the, the freedom of being able to like do everything. Like you can edit the life out of guitars if you like take out the like string noise, uh, like the, that is part of the instrument and yeah, I actually will sometimes do those things on purpose to like, uh, like e at the end of a take or something, I'll like let it ring and then like slide my fingers down the fretboard to like have that. I, I kind of call it like a guitar breath uh, <laughs> because it, it is like it's it's the the movement of your hands down the instrument whenever you're not playing it. Um, and those things give life to a recording where uh yeah you can just like all right there's no breaths there's no mouth noise there's no nothing and it's like all right where's the the person in this yeah, <laughs> yeah like the human element is completely gone at this point mm -hmm. yeah which is a little difficult especially whenever like um i don't know if you are playing to to a click and like drums especially like what is the degree to which you beat detective yeah your drums because there's a point where it's like noticeably off and consistently noticeably off and then i think that at that point it's just like somebody would hear it and be like oh they're that, that's bad you know but then there's just shy of that there's human you know what i mean <laughs> like and then Above that, there's like perfect. I don't really know. There, there's, there's four. There's five songs on this EP I'm working on right now, and four of them I, I edited the bass and the drums to be pretty much on the grid. You know, just to have consistent kick and snare and, and stuff like that. The fifth song I didn't edit. I tried, but it sounded like absolute shit. Putting everything on the grid, and it's just like I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. Where do you exist in that in that spectrum? Yeah. Well, since I I live pretty much out of the box uh everything that i 
I'm doing so far is like right on the grid. Uh, and it's, it's difficult finding the, the life in that. Um, there's like little humanizing things that you can do that, you know, even if it might live exactly on the grid, like if I'm doing like electronic drums, for example, even if it lives exactly on the grid, just like randomizing the velocity or like playing it in with your hands and like you can quantize what you play in, but like the velocities at which you played it, that like sort of natural accenting that happens, you can leave that in rather than just like, you know, hard max it at 127. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's hard playing with that. And then there's another one that like, I had Trevor Lindley play in like, Oh yes. uh, oh, Trevor. a song like way back in, in like studio four. And I, I like what he did in it and I don't want to get rid of it. And so I lined everything else up to that track nice. instead of making his stuff line up to everything else because I like, I like how it felt. And so, yeah, it's a really difficult thing to like find the humanity in it. And, and even what we're talking about right now, kind of zooming out again that like, you know, we're, we're going to, put this thing out so that other people can hear it. It's like no one that's listening to it is going to go that deep and try and hear like, this isn't melodyned. How dare they? Like, or, or this is melodyned. How dare they? Like if you're actually, if you're an actual singer, you should be able to just hit the notes. And it's like, no, no one can hit those notes for sure. But no one can tell. Especially because now everybody is subconsciously trained to know to hear melodyne vocals. That is the bar for a good singer is melodyne vocals on the radio. And so if you're not that, automatically without anybody knowing why, you're you sound worse. And that's just unfortunately how it is. Like melodyne vocals have been become our not to get too technical <laughs> about this, but it, yeah, just like a standard that's we're all propelling ourselves basically. Yeah. I mean, gladly like Melodyne is only like what a hundred dollars. So like to, for just like the base version, you pay a hundred dollars to get Melodyne. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, yeah. And it is also kind of a nice thing that like the audience is now just used to what auto tune sounds like because everyone's using auto tune. It's just like a, a, a nice it's not a crutch because it, it's just a sound. Like if you're hearing the auto tune, it's because that's the sound. It's not because like, Oh, you can't sing. So you're using auto tune. Like that's not what the decision was, but it is nice that like people are used to that sound so that, yeah, even if you have sort of like a natural sounding vocal, the, you won't be able to hear the melodyne in it. Maybe if you have it soloed, and you're like listening to it and it's like, ooh, that one was hard tuned. But like, <laughs> and and there are some songs that like, uh, like watching In the Heights last year, there, there were some songs in there that I was like, ooh, that is tuned. 
but like you know not everyone is is listening to things the way that we are (laughs) for sure for sure the level of detail that we spend like does it does it matter does it oh yeah add up to anything to you in the end yeah i mean it i think it's all for us right all these little things like we're you know so we can feel like we put out the best possible thing to our ability (laughs) yeah and then last year i tried this experiment i guess which was i i put out an ep and i just like i had electronic tracks that I had just been sitting on. And instead of trying to like perfect them, I just went, what if I just put this out as is? There was some like stuff missing from some of them. And so I, one of them was written to be played with other musicians on stage. And so I didn't have a bass track on it. And so real quick, I just, put a bass track on it. It was like, it was just playing the root of every chord. It wasn't even anything complicated. And so I was like, all right, finish that up, finish that up, finish that up. Uh, All right, cool. Here's an EP. And I just tried that for myself to be able to let go of this perfectionism that not everything that we put out has to be impeccable. Yeah. And it's nice. Like I'm, pretty proud of that EP. Uh, It doesn't, you know, it's not groundbreaking or anything, but like I put a thing out last year. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's like just as important as like feeling like you did all you could, you know what I mean? Like being um, prolific and, and, and getting things done, like is arguably more important than like making sure you have the best possible product before you release it. It's like something kind of, this is more business. Um, I've seen this in small businesses that succeed, succeed, but we're kind of the same thing as musicians. It's like people that kind of just start and just take the punches as they come. They don't feel the need to prepare for every little possible outcome before they start. They just start and do it. It seems like those people find success more than the people that sit and try and think about every possible problem they'll run into and prepare for that before even starting like it's like i don't know i don't really know i I feel like this is getting away from what you just said about fighting the perfectionism but 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 it is that i mean it's it's more important to finish something than to never put anything out uh that's something that i realized last year is that like if people aren't seeing that you are putting out music you don't make music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, it, yeah, if you don't put out anything, then are you really even a musician? Yeah. That's a scary thing to think. It's like the kind of the, the mindset of like, I heard in the Michael Jordan documentary, I think you're only as good as your last win or something like that. Like you're only, you know, so like, your last win doesn't matter again in the game you're in now. You know what I mean? All that matters is the game you're in now. It doesn't matter if you're a winner last week. It's like the same kind of thing. It's like, it doesn't matter if you put out like an album 10 years ago. Like, have you put anything out recently? I don't know. Yeah. And so if you, if you spend all this time trying to perfect a thing and make it as 
noiseless as possible and not everything is on the grid and everything is tuned perfectly and everything. And then it's like, Hey, when's that album coming out? Like, Oh, I'm working on it. And like, I'm saying this to myself. I, <laughs> I've been saying that I have an album coming out for like years now. It's, it's all <laughs> written. It's all there, but like, I haven't put it out yet. And so it's like, yeah, I need to put out the thing because until it's out, I'm not a singer songwriter. So is it like ready to be mixed or do you need to track vocals? Like what, what's, what's the missing key? Uh, I need to, I need to track uh, all of the instruments that aren't electronic. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, uh, although most of the guitars and bass are already tracked um, and I can just do all that stuff here, basically everything that I can do at home, I will. <laughs> yeah. There's money and time, man. Yeah. Yeah. But having the time to do it too is the... <laughs> yeah. It's it's weird like talking about all this like be prolific and, and put stuff out. But then the other side is it all takes so much time. Like it, an album takes so much time, especially if you're mixing it yourself and all that stuff and recording yourself. Like, and it is so easy to get burnt out if you just like hammer it out. Like you, re- you really got to space it out for your own well-being. <laughs> like you can't just take three days and spend 72 hours straight working on it and try and finish it. Like, I mean, that's, that's fun sometimes, but like, that's not really re- realistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to mix this album myself. I, I know my limitations and <laughs> I don't trust my own ear. I'm also too close to the music. I can't, I can't trust myself to do it and that's that's another important part of the process is knowing the stuff that you can't or shouldn't do yourself for sure and like putting your ego down to like especially as somebody that is also an audio engineer like i i understand that like that toughness of swallowing your pride and be like i'm gonna let somebody else mix this i know exactly what you're saying like it's <laughs> you gotta have that hum- humility humbleness right well because also if you're gonna be the one that does it you're never going to finish it because you know, you know, everything that you did, you know, like the little thing that you did whenever you tracked it. And then, yeah, you also have the freedom that like, as you're mixing it, you might go, I might retrack this part. And it's like, no, you just, you just took everything back a step. <laughs> so just put everything together and just hand it to someone else. <laughs> exactly. And and that person is just by nature, never going to put in the same amount of obsessive time and, and attention to detail that you would. And that's both good and bad because that gets it done. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, there are things like, if I had done this, I could have done X and done Y that we didn't have time to do because so-and-so was mixing it or, you know, or whatever. It, it's it's all a trade-off. Yeah. and And just letting someone know what's there and not being like there to like sure you can be in on some sessions but like just let them do their thing because you trusted them to make it sound good let them make it sound good <laughs> that's that's so weird I've, I've being a local kind of i came up you know recording other people and stuff it's it's weird that like the difference between what you just described and then the difference where you see most people around us, like they're only working with the people they're working with because that's who's around, not necessarily because that's who they trust musical opinion. You know what I mean? 
or it's because they're, you know, their friends mixing it for free or so-and-so is recording it for free. So, and so that then this like dynamic, the dynamic becomes weird because you didn't pick this person to work on your stuff because you like what they do. You picked them because they're offering to do it for free, but then they put their own creative taste and, and investment into it all. And then they have a, a weird, like, I don't know. A say in the matter. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's well, at that point it's like, what is your time worth versus what is your money worth? So, I mean, if you, if you don't, have the money to spend on it then yeah you are going to get your friend that might mix it for free uh and that will have its own caveats but that's the decision that you made in trying to save money or you can find someone that you know you like their stuff that is local you don't have like there's people making awesome stuff here whose stuff you like and whose decisions you trust that yeah and not just merit either because there are people who uh have merit that i'm like that's not necessarily for me yeah and so knowing that too to not go to this mixing engineer not go to that mastering engineer but to find someone that has made stuff or or even just like their influences that you know what stuff they like. And it's like, oh, since I know that you like this stuff, I know that you will know what I'm going for right. in this track. And that, that I mean, that, I, I don't, I don't, I've never had that, but I imagine that makes a world of difference. Like when you're working with a producer or something that you, you click on that level, you know, that's gotta be such a great feeling. Like it, it's more like, <laughs> Uh, having your child be babysat for the first time. I don't have kids, but like (laughs) just like knowing the like protection that you have over this thing is like, all right, here you go. Please don't kill it. But like also knowing that this person's fine, you trust this person and it's okay. It's hard to let go, but also, you know, it'll be okay. And then you'll be, you'll be happy with it afterwards. Cause yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to try not to ask <laughs> questions. <laughs> oh, what, what did you do? What did you do here? And it's like, Oh, uh, I like muted five of your tracks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause yeah, I probably do have too many tracks, but like, you know, it's, it's okay. If it sounds good, if you like it, then yeah, go with it. It's okay. Trust it that that's that uh second ear you know that's that's the outside perspective the beneficial outside perspective coming in if it's somebody like you trust you know and because they can help you make something that's better ultimately yeah (laughs) uh with that caleb thank you so much for doing this with me where can we find you and your things (laughs) one more time (laughs) uh at kodos band and at caleb e gray um kodosband.bandcamp.com hey pay for that music (laughs) anywhere else that everybody else is at (laughs) yeah yeah uh but i mean the music industry kind of just lives on instagram anyways so it's true it's true (laughs) yeah i'm hoping this switch to tiktok doesn't happen in a visceral way (laughs) 
It might have to. We're we're so neatly entrenched in Instagram, but like the TikTok algorithm just like is so much better at showing people things. We might just have to make that shift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are we olds? Are we olds in the industry already? <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole another discussion. <laughs> well, once again, thank you so much, Caleb. Thank you. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Caleb Gray. Thanks for having me. And now here's 27 Minutes by Kodos. Find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I make. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can buy it on Bandcamp because a single purchase is the monetary equivalent of streaming it all day, every day, for about a week. I'm working on an album, so if you'd like to hear that at some point, you can buy my music, or you can support me on Patreon. 
There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. If you like the podcast, leave comments on social media, leave reviews saying how much you like the podcast, and tell your friends about it. I want to help the world have deeper conversations. So thank you for listening to and supporting BitDeck. I was in the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.